Martin Luther's original intent was to reform the Catholic Church. He's seen that there was a lot of heresies, a lot of doctrinal errors, and his heart was simply to reform the church from within. What ended up happening, though, is that it ended up being a great breakaway from the church. They essentially turned Martin Luther away. They called him a heretic. Martin Luther was a key figure in the Protestant Reformation. He was really the one who sparked the Reformation. Of course, there are others who were key, like John Knox and John Calvin. Those are more famous names that we know. But Martin Luther really was the one who spearheaded the Protestant Reformation. And out of the Protestant Reformation came what we know as the five solas of the Reformation. Who knows the five solas of the Reformation? Okay, Tina, you know them? Okay, so they are sola scriptura, soli deo gloria, solas Christus, sola gratia, and sola fide. That is the scripture alone, to God be the glory alone, and Christ alone, by grace alone, and by faith alone. The five solas were key in Martin Luther's life. We see that in his life, especially as he was coming up against the Catholic Church and its teachers. The importance of Scripture alone. Martin Luther, one of the biggest issues that he had was that he saw the, the Catholic Church practicing these indulgences, right? So they put a box up, and, and if you gave your money, you could buy a family member's soul, a loved one's soul, out of purgatory. If you were to just give some finances, give some of your wealth, you'd be able to purchase time off of this fictional place called purgatory. Uh, Not just for your loved ones, but even for yourself. Martin Luther didn't see these concepts in scripture. And he had a heart to stand within the bounds of Holy Scripture. He, he had a heart to stay within the boundaries of, of the Word of God and not to go beyond what is written, like many of the religious leaders of his time. Sola Scriptura really gives birth to soli, soli Deo Gloria. It's really tied in. God alone gets the glory when Scripture alone tells the story. Soli Deo Gloria, to God be the glory. That is that no one else would be glorified. Not a pope, not a man. No one else is going to get the glory due God's name. Solus Christus, Christ alone. That is to say that it is not our works. What Martin Luther struggled with, even in his own life, especially early on, was the idea of faith plus works. He thought that he needed to earn God's favor. He was against this. It is Christ and Christ alone. We don't need to go anywhere else. We don't need to trust in anything else. We don't need to ask a priest for forgiveness. It is Christ and Christ alone, his atoning blood, his sacrifice for us on the cross. Sola gratia, by grace alone. That is, that it is not of works, as we see in Ephesians 2.9. We're saved by grace, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Then sola fide, by faith alone. Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the verse that changed Martin Luther's life. The righteous shall live by faith. And of course, Ephesians 2.8, by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
And our passage today is going to walk us through the very heart of these truths. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to turn with me to our text, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. We'll read the text together to begin. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. We're just going back and looking at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. This, this message can really be broken down into two parts. Verses 1 through 3 is talking about our death. Uh, our spiritual death. Deadness, our inability to be righteous, our inability to appease and please God. Verse 4 is the turning point for forward, but God. But God being rich in mercy. So really we are dead in our sins, verses 1 through 3. And by the grace of God, alive in Christ, verses 4 forward. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Paul's reminding these Ephesians of who they once were. He's talking to them about what they once were, dead people, spiritually dead people in their trespasses and sins. And, and, and really, we know the doctrine of original sin, right? We were born this way. And what happens over time is we, we begin to compound on that sin. So we're born into sin, right? Adam sinned, he fell. And whether he is our, our federal head, that is to say like our representative, the one who sinned and so that is all allocated to us, or whether there's this literal we were in his loins at the point of the fall, whatever it may be, we understand that Adam sinned and that sin comes upon us, that we were born in sin. Okay, you don't have to teach a child how to sin, right? You, you, you let a child to their self and they're going to do wrong. You have to train them in righteousness. A child will by nature do what is contrary to what they are told. And it starts there. And it continues on through the human life. And because of this, we are all spiritually dead outside of Christ. Spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins. We've gone beyond what God has allotted for us as, as people. We've, we've trespassed and transgressed his holy law, his holy righteous decree. And we are guilty and spiritually dead. And we're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And we followed the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Now what is the course of this world? Course of this world. The course of this world is unrighteousness, unholiness, drunkery, orgies, sexual immorality, adulteries, theft. 
false witness, slander. And the scripture says that we all once walked following the course of the world. To follow the course of the world, Paul takes it a step further, is to follow the prince of the power of the air. What he's saying is that that's literally to follow Satan. To follow satanic forces. To follow sin is to follow satanic forces. Now, we were guilty of this. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, that very spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You look around the world and you see all the things that you can't believe people are doing. The same spirit that was operating in us when we were unbelievers and when we were walking contrary to the world is that that exact same spirit is operating in the people that you scratch your head and you wonder how they could be doing the very things that they're doing. As if you build yourself up to say that, <clears throat> I would never do that. But if not for the grace of God, we'll see. There's no telling what we would have done. One thing's for sure, Paul's making the point that we all, at least at one time, walked in this manner controlled by this spirit. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Everything that the flesh desired, everything that the flesh wanted, any indulgence, we lived in those passions freely. And I love where Paul goes here. He, he makes a statement that I think we oftentimes overlook. He says, we lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It's interesting. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You know, I think that because this is Pauline, we have to tie Ephesians as a sister book to Romans. We could tie that into Romans chapter 7. There's, there's a contrast here. You've got two different types of people. You have the unregenerate individual whose fleshly desires the mind agrees with. Whatever the body desires, the mind agrees with, and the mind is ready to carry it out. This is part of being dead in sin, dead in our trespasses. Then you have the regenerate person whose mind and body are often at war with one another. Remember Romans chapter 7. Paul has this epic battle within, right? He's talking about the desires of his body and the desires of his mind. And with, with his body, he serves the law of sin. But with his mind, he serves the law of God. And he cries out, oh, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. So then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my body, I serve the law of sin. Now, now Paul is not saying that he is somebody who walks in sin. He's not saying that sin is permissible, that sin is okay. It's not an excuse for sin. But what he's saying is the Christian mind is affected towards Christ. That's really the heart of repentance, right? To have a change of mind, to, to, to turn a different direction, to repent of your sin is to turn away from that, to have a change of mind, a change of perspective. It's a renewed mind. It's a regenerate mind. It's a changed mind. And, and Paul says, on, on the contrary here to that, that we were people whose body and minds were in agreement. Our mind was hostile against God, hostile against his desires, hostile against his plan, hostile against his holy decrees. When the body says, indulge in the flesh, sin is at your door, have it. The mind says, why not? What do I have to lose? Its passions and pleasures are nice. And this is what it's like to be dead in sins and trespasses. And this is how we were against God. Every single one of us, Paul says, among whom we all once lived. Carrying out the desires of the mind. And because of this, we were by nature children of wrath. That's universal, all. That's strange to think about there for a moment. I don't quite know how that all fits into the big picture that God foreordained us. He, he knew that 
He was going to save us. We, we've been set aside from the foundation of the world. But there was a time where there was wrath on us. But at the time of salvation, that wrath is transferred fully to Christ. Perhaps there is a sense of God's wrath in our daily lives and the way that we live out our life. We, we don't have his blessing over our life. We don't have his protection over our life. There's sin. But one thing is for sure, we were all, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind at one point. We were dead, spiritually dead. There was no life in us. Then verse 4, the pivotal point in the text, and I love this, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. How many of you remember your but God moment? The moment that amazing grace came flooding into your life. That moment that you said, Jesus, I submit my life to you. I, I want you to, to be the payment for my sin. I want to follow after you. I believe in you. May the world be behind me. May the cross be before me. It is you that I seek after Christ. That's the but God. The but God work that he worked in your life when he called you to the place of salvation. But God, I remember my but God day. I remember, well, I remember, I remember my life. Man, I was all these things. I was dead in my sins. I was following the course of this world. I was following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that was at work in the sons of disobedience. I was in the passions of my flesh. My body and my mind were hostile against God. I remember being in the bars. I remember being drunk. I remember being away from my family. And then I remember the day that God put fear in my heart. The beginning of wisdom. He caused me to fear him, to tremble at his word. Kind of like Christian, when he starts building this burden on his back, he's so overwhelmed by, by, by the fact that he is dead and, and his sins and that God is holy. And, and, and it was all his grace that he allowed me to be crushed under the weight of it. That he allowed me to come to the place where I cried out, God, please save me. I can't bear this any longer. That was my but God moment. When he came rushing in and redeemed my soul. And set his course before me that I ought to walk. Because he's rich in mercy. Yes, that's true. But I love that Paul says because of the great love with which he loved us. We understand that God is gracious. We understand that God is merciful, but we sometimes forget how much he does love, how much he loves us, who he died for, who he poured out his blood for, who he gave up his only begotten son for. The ultimate price. He loves us with love unfathomable, church. He truly does. And we need to remind ourselves of that because it's so easy to focus more on the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then, of course, Satan comes along and he wants to lie to some of us and tell us, that, you know what, you're still dead in your trespasses. You've gone too far. But God, because of the great love with which he loved us, we need to remind ourselves of that. Your sin has no power over you because Christ has paid the penalty for it. Because he is rich in mercy and because he loves you with a great love. Verse 5, and this didn't come 
when we did anything good. This mercy, this love, this grace didn't, didn't come to us because of any merit of our own. He says, no, you were dead in your trespasses. That's when he made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We didn't clean up our act. We didn't bring ourselves to a place of, of, of getting better. He came and met us right where we were and cleansed us of our sins and made us new. This is the very point that Martin Luther missed. The brilliant mind behind the Reformation, the Bible scholar, what a brilliant man, deep knowledge of the Hebrew and Greek, translating the Bible into German for the common man. Yet he, he didn't really understand Romans 1.17 until he probably read it for maybe the 110th time. He, he kept looking over it. He didn't understand there was a but God. He didn't understand that there was a love. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther drove himself insane. Martin Luther's story is he was supposed to be a lawyer. A day came where he was caught in a storm and the storm got bad and he was terrified and he cried out. He says, oh, St. Elizabeth, save me. And, and, and he was spared from the storm. And so he had this twisted mind about what had actually taken place. He ends up becoming a monk. And it is said of Martin Luther that if anybody could have gotten into heaven because of their monkery, it, it, was, it was Martin Luther. He was a devout monk. Talk about severity to the body. He, he was the kind of guy who would expose himself to the elements, freezing cold temperatures, extreme heats. He would starve himself. He would deprive himself of water. Any pleasure that the flesh could indulge in, he would separate himself as far as the east is from the west. As far as knowledge of the word of God, he was brilliant. He would spend countless hours in confession over every little thing, oftentimes in the middle of confession, having a, a bad thought, and then he has to confess that before he can clear his conscience. He would spend six-plus hours in confession to where he was often told, Luther, don't come back until you have something worthy of confession. And what ended up happening to Luther is he, he grew in his knowledge of God. And he's seen the holiness of God in Scripture. And he's seen God's righteous decree and his holy commands. And he says, I cannot live up to this. I'm better than all these men, but I, I can't do this. Nobody can do this. I'm going to go mad. He began to resent God. He began to grow angry at the idea of God. How can a God so glorious and transcendent and holy demand so much of fallen creatures? And he grew angry and frustrated and hateful towards God. But God, at the appropriate time, illuminated Romans 1.17 to Martin Luther. The righteous shall live by faith. It is said that he had felt all at once born again at that moment. He was made alive. He was dead in his trespasses and sins and knew it. But then he was, because of God, made alive. By his grace. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I can imagine how humble Martin Luther was knowing, man, I have no pride. I was dead in my sins and God did all the work. And Paul is so excited, verse 5. I love this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then there's this portion that seems interjected. He couldn't just wait until verse 8. He had to say it twice. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were we were saved because of God's rich mercy and love and grace. And we were saved while we were dead spiritually. There was nothing good in us. It was done by grace. And what does he do? He raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this ties into Ephesians 1, 20 and following. This is the same thing that God did with Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand. He seats him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things uh, under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And we are seated inside of Christ. We're in the heavenly places. It's as good as done. Because God decreed it from eternity past. Ephesians 1 also tells us that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. There's this transaction that has already taken place, so to speak. It's as good as done, and we are hidden in Christ. I love that. We are in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. This is the love of the Father. And why does he do it? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is soli deo gloria. God is, God is bringing glory to himself alone in this. I trust you see that. Because he has ordained a day where the objects of his grace will see him as he is. See him for the grace that has been laid down before them. And they will see the immeasurable greatness of his love. They'll understand to a degree the depths of his love for them. I can imagine just being broken to pieces under that immense weight of love. I, I believe that if any one of us in this room could feel the full weight of God's love on earth, it would kill us. Such a pure, passionate, devoted love for his vessels of mercy. And this is why he gives us this grace. This is why he comes to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and makes them alive together with Christ because of his love. And we are going to see that one day. Everyone who believes in Christ, this is our blessed assurance. That we will be with the Lord, see him as he is, and we will be in his love eternally. That is an amazing truth. And so that you might not be inclined to get so excited about that that you really try your hardest to get there and turn it into works. Paul reminds us in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved, this is the second time, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is where we get sola gratia and sola fide, right? We see them combined right here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the grace of God that has saved us through our faith in God, through our faith in Christ, through our faith in the truth of the gospel. You know, I can remember, this was about three, three weeks ago, maybe, maybe a month ago. I spent a little bit of time, but I was down in my office preparing for a sermon, and I heard a knock at the door, and my wife calls me, and she says, someone's at the door, 
I'm with the kids. Will you please come up and, and see who it is? So I come upstairs. I open the door. And uh, right away I can recognize that there were, there were two young ladies. They were Jehovah's Witness. And uh, so I knew right away where the conversation was going to go. And I wasn't going to turn down an opportunity to, to witness. And so uh, they began to try and share some theology with me. I, I stopped them and I said, so what, what is the good news that you bring to me today? What is the gospel? What is the good news you bring to my door today? And they told me, they said to me, well, if you would believe that Jehovah exists, if you would try your hardest to walk like Christ walked and believe that Jesus existed, Jehovah might save you. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, that's horrible news. I can't do that. You've got the order mixed up. I, I, I can't do good and make my way to God. God's going to have to do something in me and change me and make me good. I, I can't have works first, fabricate some work, just believe in God because you say he's there and, 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 and say that whatever, he, he loves me or he wants me. You know, this God of the universe will have to first do a work in me, change my heart, and then there will be some works. But you can't tell me to go do works. I could never do that. The very thing that tormented Martin Luther. The very thing that torments so many. I, I then was able to share the gospel. I said, well, well here's what the good news is. God the Father sent God the Son to the earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a tree. He bled his blood. He was put in the tomb on the third day he raised that if you would repent of your sin and believe in Christ, the sacrifice, that you will be saved. And it is all of grace through faith. And and there's nothing that I can do. Paul says it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This isn't you. Even us here in this room, sometimes you might think, man, I'm really feeling good today about my walk. But I, can, I assure you, it's not you. On your best day, it's not you. On your worst day, it's you. <laughs> we, we can't blame God. No, but on your best day, it's not you. It is the grace of God working in your life. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And why? So that no one may boast. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Again, solely day of glory. God gets the glory. You think about salvation. There's only one who gets the glory. We, we can't take credit. Some people might think that at the end of their walk, that they've walked a good life, and they're going to be able to get some glory, and they're going to be able to proudly ask God to crown them. They're going to be surprised. As Christians, we, we ought to be humbled. God gets the glory, not us. This is his doing. It's all his doing. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, compassion, grace, love. And this is the one thing that Brother Martin Luther, by the grace of God, came to realize. I can only imagine the humility that came over him at that moment. Man, the righteous shall live by faith. There's nothing in me. So the question is, do you have faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? Faith is the catalyst. We, we, we have the Holy Scriptures. 
The five solas are so beautiful. We have the Holy Scriptures, which are sufficient. They speak of God's glory, the glory he seeks for himself from Genesis to Revelation. God's glory is, is most glorious through Christ, solus Christus. Through Christ, we are given the gift of faith by the grace of God. From that faith comes forth grace, and then grace upon grace. It's all connected. Our works are not, are not a part of the equation. It's a faith. Do you have faith? Do you have faith today? Do you believe this gospel? Are you like Brother Martin Luther who still struggles with thinking that somehow if you just work harder, God will accept you? That God will receive you? Or have you come to the place that Luther came and realized that it is by faith alone, by the grace of God alone, and I hope your faith is in Christ. It's a horrible place to be dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work and the sons of disobedience, carrying out the passions of the flesh and the desires of the body and the mind, and remaining a child of wrath. And I'm afraid that there are some who come every Sunday and they willingly remain under the wrath of God. They've heard the gospel over and over and over and over, and yet they have not inclined their ear to hear or their eye to see. God commands all people, all places to repent and believe the gospel. There are people who come in their adultery, in their fornication, in their immorality, in their slander, in their lying tongue, in their homosexuality. And instead of submitting those things to the cross of Christ and saying, God, no matter what I've done, I know that you have amazing grace and I know that you can forgive me. They rebel and they remain in this wretched place. They're stuck in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and they never get to 4. When God says, come to 4, let me give you a but God. Let me redeem you. Let me save you. Let me give you new life. May you know the depths of my love eternally. May I be glorified in you. Come, come to the cross. I don't care what you've done. I don't care the, the sins that you've committed. If you come to me, I will forgive you. And maybe you've come every Sunday and, and you've heard the word and you have yet to receive Christ. Let today be the day. Today is the day of salvation. Rejoice and be glad in it. Trust in Christ today. Be a man or a woman of faith. And be saved. This is glorious grace. This is the free gift of God. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know where you stand. But my prayer is that everyone here would grow to be a mighty person of faith. Would allow God to do a mighty work in you. And in your family. Please listen to the voice of the Lord. I'm going to say it again. It doesn't matter what you've done. I listed some things. Come to the cross. He will forgive you. Lay your burdens down. Take Christ's yoke for his burden is easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Put your trust in him today. And let us pray. Father, Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for souls, that souls might be saved. Every sin that could be committed was committed 
There's nothing beyond your knowledge. You take prostitutes like Rahab, murderers like Saul, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, liars. You take them all. You love them. You save them, and you say they love much because they're forgiven much. I pray, mighty God, that you'd be mighty to save among us today. That it wouldn't just be another Sunday, but that souls would be saved, encouraged, strengthened, uplifted. I pray, Father, that you would work among us and continue to work among us day by day. May we know the great depths of your love, the riches of your grace. May we be recipients, all of us, of your life-giving grace. In Jesus' name, amen.